We see the values that we work for in companies, even for ourselves. Maybe we've created values for our families, but what are the actions that translate those values or virtues? How can you turn empathy, for example, into an action? That is the goal. That is what we have to define as leaders and communicate to our organizations. Welcome to the Life Athletes Podcast. Remember, it's never a good time to take a vacation on your development. So let's start now with your host, Alejandro. I was recently given a book by a close friend of mine. The name of the book is What You Do Is Who You Are, and the author is Ben Horowitz. Ben Horowitz is co-founder and general partner at Andreessen Horowitz, which is a venture capital firm that invests in entrepreneurs. He was, prior to that, the CEO of Opsware, which was acquired by Hewlett Packard for a cool $1.6 billion in 2007. So some experience certainly from him, but what I like about this book is that he draws on leadership stories from the present, the past, but also from the way, way, way back past with figures like Toussaint Lavatour, who is the genius behind the only successful slave rebellion in the history of the Western Hemisphere, and that is the Haitian Revolution of the late 18th century. He also references the samurai of Japan and the Bushido Code that elevates virtues above values. And since the book is around culture and the development of culture, he pulls out some incredible insights from there. Also, Genghis Khan, Genghis Khan, who considered the ultimate outsider that led one of history's most dominant armies by, guess what? absorbing the best and brightest among those he defeated and did it successfully. Also interesting, an interesting reference is James White, also known as Shaka Senghor, who went to prison on a murder conviction and became the leader of one of the most violent Michigan prison gangs, the Melanics, but then experienced a profound transformation and led a culture revolution that focused on community uplift after prison. I highly recommend the book if you are a leader, if you have a business. Some of these things even apply to being in a family and leading a family, so highly recommend it. What I want to do in this podcast is share with you just some of the gems, some of the insights that I think you'll find helpful. What is culture? Culture is how your company or how your business makes decisions when you're not there. That's a simple way to put it. It's a set of assumptions that your employees use to solve problems each and every day. It's how they behave when no one is looking. So if you don't intentionally or methodically set your culture, then Ben states that two-thirds of it will end up being accidental and the rest will be a mistake. Therefore, you have to make sure that culture aligns with both your personality and your strategy. That's going to be key, and culture only works if you as a leader visibly participate and vocally champion it. That means people have to see you living it out. 
one particular quote that he has in there that I really like is that people who work for you won't remember the press releases or the awards. They'll lose track of the quarterly ups and downs. They may even grow hazy about the products, but they will never forget how it felt to work there or the kind of people they became as a result. As leaders, we can transcend the day-to-day technical activity and quarterly results. That is the opportunity that we have if we are intentional about culture. That's the foundation of cultural design. Now let's move on to cultural orientation. And what the author states is that an employee's first day at work makes a lasting impression and that people learn more about what it takes to succeed in your organization or your business or your school on that day than any other day. He adds that it's a good idea then to survey employees, these new employees, to get the real feedback on what your culture is like. Many times we go to the veterans, the people that have been there for a long time, but it's these new folks that can give you a better picture of what it's like to work there. If you have experience working in an organization, in a business, or if you've been in relationships, you probably know that trust is a very important element in those relationships and in the success of organizations. He specifically writes that in any human interaction, the required amount of communication is inversely proportional to the level of trust. And here's the example. If I trust you completely then I require no explanation or communication of your actions at all because I know that whatever you're doing is in my best interest. On the other hand, though, if I don't trust you, then no amount of talking, explaining, or reasoning will have any effect on me because I'll never believe you're telling me the truth or that you're acting in my best interests. Are you hearing me? As a way to shape culture, Horowitz introduces something called shocking rules. These are any rules that are so surprising that it makes people ask, hey, why do we have this rule? And it reinforces those key cultural elements that you as a leader are trying to build. Now, he adds that it should be shocking for almost everyone who hears it. They should ask, are you serious about this? And the cultural impact has to be straightforward. That's the key, that the answer to the why has to be clearly explained in that cultural context. Otherwise, it won't have the impact that you need it to have. An example of this is something that is done at Amazon. And that shocking rule that they have is no PowerPoint presentations in meetings. No PowerPoint presentations in meetings. So to convene a meeting, to have one in Amazon, you first have to prepare a short written document explaining the issues to be discussed and then your position on them. That's their shocking rule. But it fits with their value of frugality, which they define as accomplish more with less. And that constraints breed resourcefulness, self-sufficiency, and invention. So that's why the rule exists, to support that specific cultural value. Another hazard that businesses and organizations face is the status quo, 
when you've done something for a while and a change is needed. And sometimes the culture you need is so far away from the culture you have that you need to get some outside help. You need some fresh eyes on it, as they say. So rather than trying to move your company to a culture that you don't know well, you bring in someone from the culture that you aspire to have. One thing to remember is that if you do bring in outside leadership, it may make some people uncomfortable. He explained how Tucson Lavatur, the rebellion leader in Haiti, how he brought in Spanish and French officers who he recognized had experience and know-how in war tactics, etc. And he brought them into his army. And you can imagine the sort of tension that was there between those soldiers and the former slaves. So it's something that you want to consider, but that's what cultural change feels like. It's part of the package. Now, at the end of the day, what people do at the office where they spend most of their waking hours, when you think about it and how much time you work, that becomes who you are. Office culture is very infectious, believe it or not. If the CEO has an affair with an employee, guess what? There will be many affairs throughout the company, more than likely. If profanity is rampant, most employees will take that home too. People become the culture they live in. And they do what they have to do to survive and thrive in it. So what we can learn from this is that as leaders, we are highly influential. And what we say means far less than what we do. So one of the other pieces the author brings in here is that if you really want to cement or make a lesson clear, you need to use an object lesson. This is a dramatic warning, if you will, that you put into effect after something bad has happened and you need to correct it in a way that will reset the culture and make sure that that bad thing never happens again. So this certainly could be related to ethics, harassment, things of that nature. Now in the book, he talked about an object lesson from Genghis Khan where someone ended up getting beheaded. You certainly don't want to do that. But the object lesson, the point of it is that it will be universally understood. So for example, after the object lesson is carried out, the message could be clear that at this company, we never do anything illegal. And this leads perfectly to the last piece, which is making ethics explicit. And what the author communicates here is that Many potential cultural elements are really too abstract to be effective. And I think most of us, you and I, are familiar with this. We see these company values, and it's hard for us to understand what they mean behaviorally. They sound good or they look good, but many times people can't understand what it really means. And he references here the Bushido, which is the Samurai Honor Code, And according to Bushido, a culture is not a set of beliefs, but a set of actions. So what actions do the cultural virtues translate to? We see the values that we work for in companies, even for ourselves. Maybe we've created values for our families, but what are the actions that translate those values or virtues? How can you turn empathy, for example, into an action? That is the goal. That is what we have to define as leaders and communicate 
to our organizations. And as a way to show that, I'm going to read to you the story that he uses to exemplify this. Todd McKinnon, the CEO of Okta, got tested on his most important cultural tenant early in his tenure. Prior to co-founding Okta in 2009, McKinnon was the vice president of engineering at Salesforce.com. Okta provided a secure identity system for companies that had moved their applications to the cloud. Hosting applications on the cloud was a new idea at the time. But having seen Salesforce explode, McKinnon felt that there would be many more such applications to come, marketing, automation, legal apps, customer support, and so on. Cloud-based companies would then face the challenge of managing their employees' activities across hundreds of systems they didn't own. If you fire an employee, how can you be sure they're removed from every system uh, she had access to? This was the initial problem Okta sought to address. Every customer would have to trust Okta to manage the credentials of all their employees across hundreds and perhaps thousands of systems. If Okta went down, even for maintenance, those employees wouldn't be able to access their vital data. Even worse, if Okta got hacked, all their customers would also be hacked. As Okta had to be totally trusted to succeed, McKinnon had to make integrity the core of the culture. But Okta was a startup. And the prime cultural virtue of any startup is survive at all costs. About three years in, Okta was struggling. It had missed seven forecasts in a row and needed to raise money. A potential large deal with Sony would make or break the quarter. The good news was that the deal was on track. The bad news was that Okta's sales rep had promised Sony that a feature called on-premise user provisioning which would allow Sony to put users into the system from within its own buildings, would be delivered in a few months. In fact, Okta didn't plan to build it for a few years. Sony didn't require contractual assurance that the feature was just around the corner, but it did want McKinnon's word. Was the smart thing to do to tell Sony the truth, or was it to save the company? Was the feature so important to Sony that it had to be warned that it would be delivered a little late, even at the risk of layoffs at Okta, or worse? I knew that I could get the deal if I stretched the truth, McKinnon recalled. But I knew that everyone from the sales rep to the engineers would know that I had done that. They would assume that little lies were okay. I like to say it was an easy decision, but it was a hard decision. I ended up not taking the deal, because I knew it would be fatal in the long run. And maybe more than that, because I didn't want to lie. He chose to risk the company rather than risk the culture. In this case, it worked out. Koshla Ventures made a gutsy bet and funded Okta's next round despite all those missed quarters. And as of the writing of the book, Okta is worth nearly $15 billion and has become the most important cloud identity product in the world. So a good way to sum up the book is if you don't know what you want, there is no chance that you will get it. I love that. We need to live our lives that way. He adds on that culture begins with deciding what you value most. Then you must help everyone in your organization 
practice behaviors that reflect those virtues. I would highly recommend that you read the book. It's What You Do Is Who You Are, How to Create Your Business Culture by Ben Horowitz. I have the information in the show notes, but hopefully this summary gave you some tidbits that you can begin to implement where you are now. Thank you so much for listening. If this content is adding value to you, please go to iTunes or go to Stitcher, rate and review us because that helps us to build this community and deliver content on a regular basis. Until next time, friends.